Section 21 of the Second Jungle Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. Section 21. Red Dog. Part 2. For a long hour Mowgli lay back among the coils, while Kaa, his head motionless on the ground, thought of all that he had seen and known since the day he came from the egg. The light seemed to go out of his eyes and leave them like stale opals, and now and again he made little stiff passes with his head right and left, as though he were hunting in his sleep. Mowgli dozed quietly, for he knew that there is nothing like sleep before hunting, and he was trained to take it at any hour of the day or night. Then he felt Kaa's back grow bigger and broader below him as the huge python puffed himself out, hissing with the noise of a sword drawn from a steel scabbard. I have seen all the dead seasons, Kaa said at last and the great trees and the old elephants, and the rocks that were bare and sharp-pointed ere the moss grew. Art thou still alive, Manling? It is only a little after moonset, said Mowgli. I do not understand. Yes, I am again, Car. I knew it was but a little time. Now we will go to the river, and I will show thee what is to be done against the dole. He turned straight as an arrow, for the main stream of the Wanganga, plunging in a little above the pool that had hid the peace rock, Mowgli at his side. Nay, do not swim. I go swiftly. My back, little brother. Mowgli tucked his left arm around Kaa's neck, dropped his right close to his body, and straightened his feet. Then Kaa breasted the current as he alone could, and the ripple of the checked water stood up in a frill round Mowgli's neck, and his feet were waved to and fro in the eddy under the python's lashing sides. A mile or two above the peace rock, the Wanganga narrows between a gorge of marble rocks from eighty to a hundred feet high and the current runs like a mill-race between and over all manner of ugly stones. But Mowgli did not trouble his head above the water. Little water in the world could have given him a moment's fear. He was looking at the gorge on either side, and sniffing uneasily, for there was a sweetish, sourish smell in the air very like the smell of a big anthill on a hot day. Instinctively he lowered himself in the water, only raising his head to breathe from time to time, and Carr came to anchor with a double twist of his tail round a sunken rock, holding Mowgli in the hollow of a coil, while the water raced on. "'This is the place of death,' said the boy, why do we come here? They sleep, said Kaa. Haiti will not turn aside for the striped one. Yet Haiti and the striped one together 
turn aside for the dole, and the dole, they say, turn aside for nothing. And yet for whom do the little people of the rocks turn aside? Tell me, master of the jungle, who is the master of the jungle? These, Mowgli whispered, it is the place of death. Let us go. Nay, look well, for they are asleep. It is as it was when I was not the length of thy arm. The split and weather-worn rocks of the gorge of the Wanganga had been used since the beginning of the jungle by little people of the rocks, the busy, furious, black wild bees of India, and, as Mowgli knew well, all trails turned off half a mile before they reached the gorge. For centuries the little people had hived and swarmed from cleft to cleft, and swarmed again, staining the white marble with stale honey, and made their combs tall and deep in the dark of the inner caves, where neither man nor beast nor fire nor water had ever touched them. The length of the gorge on both sides were hung as if it were with black shimmery velvet curtains, and Mowgli sunk as he looked, for those were the clotted millions of the sleeping bees. There were other lumps and festoons and things like decayed tree trunks studded on the face of the rock, the old combs of past years, or new cities built in the shadow of the windless gorge, and huge masses of spongy, rotten trash had rolled down and stuck among the trees and creepers that clung to the rock face. As he listened, he heard more than once the rustle and slide of a honey-loaded comb, turning over or failing away somewhere in the dark galleries, when a booming of angry wings and the sullen drip, 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 of the wasted honey guttering along till it lipped over some ledge in the open air, and sluggishly trickled down on the twigs. There was a tiny little beach, not five feet broad, on one side of the river, and that was piled high with the rubbish of uncounted years. There were dead bees, drones, sweepings, and stale combs, and wings of marauding moths, that had strayed in after honey, all tumbled in smooth piles of the finest black dust. The mere-shaped smell of it was enough to frighten anything that had no wings, and knew what the little people were. Carr moved upstream again, till he came to a sandy bar at the head of the gorge. "'Here is this season's kill,' said he. "'Look!' On the bank lay the skeletons of a couple of young deer and a buffalo. Mowgli could see that neither wolf nor jackal had touched the bones, which were laid out naturally. They came beyond the line. They did not know the law, murmured Mowgli, and the little people killed them. Let us go ere they wake. They do not wake till the dawn, said Carr. Now I will tell thee. A hunted buck from the south, many, many rains ago, came hither from the south, not knowing the jungle, a pack on his trail. Being made blind by fear, he leaped from above, the pack running by sight, 
for they were hot and blind on the trail. The sun was high, and the little people were many and very angry. Many, too, were those of the pack who leaped into the Wanganga, but they were dead ere they took water. Those who did not leap died also in the rocks above, but the buck lived. How? Because he came first, running for his life, leaping ere the little people were aware, and was in the river when they gathered to kill. The pack, following, was altogether lost under the weight of the little people. The buck lived, Mowgli repeated slowly. At least he did not die then, though none waited his coming down with a strong body to hold him safe against the water, as a certain old fat death, yellow flathead, would wait for a manling, yea, though there were all the dolls of the deacon on his trail. What is in thy stomach? Carr's head was close to Mowgli's ear, and it was a little time before the boy answered. It is to pull the very whiskers of death, but Carr, thou art indeed the wisest of all the jungle. So many have said, Look now, if the doll follow thee. As surely they will follow. Ho, ho, I have many little thorns under my tongue to prick into their hides. If they follow thee hot and blind, looking only at thy shoulders, those who do not die up above will take water either here or lower down, for the little people will rise up and cover them. Now the Wanganga is hungry water, and they will have no car to hold them, but will go down, such as live, to the shallows by the Sione lairs, and there thy pack may meet them by the throat. Ahay, Eowa, better could not be till the rains fall in the dry season. There is now only the little matter of the run and the leap. I will make me known to the dolls, so they shall follow me very closely. Hast thou seen the rocks above thee, from the landward side? Indeed, no, that I had forgotten. Go look, it is all rotten ground, cut and full of holes. One of thy clumsy feet set down without seeing would end the hunt. See, I leave thee here, and for thy sake only I will carry word to the pack that they may know where to look for the doll. For myself, I am not of one skin with any wolf. When Carr disliked an acquaintance, he could be more unpleasant than any of the jungle people, except perhaps Bagheera. He swam downstream, and opposite the rock he came on Pao and Akela, listening to the night noises. Hush, dogs, he said cheerfully. The dolls will come downstream. If ye be not afraid, ye can kill them in the shallows. Why come they? said Pao. And where is my man-cub? said Akela. They come when they come, said Carr. Wait and see. As for thy man-cub, from whom thou hast taken a word, and so laid him open to death, thy man-cub is with me, and if he be not already dead, the fault is none of thine. Bleached dog. Wait here for the doll, and be glad that the man-cub and I strike on thy side. 
Carr flashed upstream again, and moored himself in the middle of the gorge, looking upward at the line of the cliff. Presently he saw Mowgli's head move against the stars, and then there was a whiz in the air, the keen, clean sloop of a body falling feet first, and next minute the boy was at rest again in the loop of Carr's body. "'It is no leap by night,' said Mowgli quietly. "'I have jumped twice as far for sport, but that is an evil place above, low bushes and gullies that go down very deep, all full of the little people. I have put big stones one above the other by the side of three gullies. These I shall throw down with my feet in running, and the little people will rise up behind me, very angry. That is man's talk and man's cunning, said Carr. Thou art wise, but the little people are always angry. Nay, at twilight all wings near and far rest for a while. I will play with the doll at twilight, for the doll hunts best by day. He follows now Wantala's blood trail. Chul does not leave a dead ox, nor the doll the blood trail, said Carr. Then I will make him a new blood trail of his own blood, if I can, and give him dirt to eat. Thou wilt stay here, Carr till I come again with my dolls? Aye, but what if they kill thee in the jungle, or the little people kill thee before thou canst leap down to the river? When tomorrow comes, we will kill for tomorrow, said Mowgli, quoting a jungle saying, and again, when I am dead, it is time to sing the death song. Good hunting, Kaa. He loosened his arm from the python's neck, and went down the gorge like a log in a freshet, paddling toward the far bank, where he found slack water, and laughing aloud from sheer happiness. There was nothing Mowgli liked better than, as he himself said, to pull the whiskers of death, and make the jungle know that he was their overlord. He had often, with Baloo's help, robbed bees' nests in single trees, and he knew that the little people hated the smell of wild garlic. So he gathered a small bundle of it, tied it up with a bark string, and then followed Wantola's blood trail, as it ran suddenly from the lairs for some five miles, looking at the trees with his head on one side, and chuckling as he looked. Mowgli the frog have I been, said he to himself, Mowgli the wolf, have I said that I am. Now Mowgli the ape, must I be before. I am Mowgli the buck. At the end I shall be Mowgli the man. Ho! And he slid his thumb along the eighteen-inch blade of his knife. Wantola's trail, all rank with dark blood spots, ran under a forest of thick trees that grew close together and stretched away north-eastward gradually growing thinner and thinner to within two miles of the bee rocks. From the last tree to the low scrub of the bee rocks was open country, where there was hardly covered enough to hide a wolf. Mowgli trotted along under the trees, judging distances between branch and branch. 
occasionally climbing up a trunk and taking a trial leap from one tree to another till he came to the open ground, which he studied very carefully for an hour. Then he turned, picked up Wontola's trail where he had left it, settled himself in a tree with an outrunning branch some eight feet from the ground, and sat still, sharpening his knife on the sole of his foot, and singing to himself. A little before midday, when the sun was very warm, he heard the patter of feet, and smelt the abominable smell of the doll pack, as they trotted pitilessly along Wontola's trail. Seen from above, the red doll does not look half the size of a wolf, but Mowgli knew how strong his feet and jaws were. He watched the sharp bay head of the leader snuffing along the trail, and gave him good hunting. The brute looked up, and his companions halted behind him. Scores and scores of red dogs with low-hung tails, heavy shoulders, weak quarters, and bloody mouths. The dolls are a very silent people as a rule, and they have no manners even in their own jungle. Fully two hundred must have gathered below him, but he could see that the leaders sniffed hungrily on Wontola's trail, and tried to drag the pack forward. That would never do, or they would be at the lairs in broad daylight, and Mowgli meant to hold them under his tree till dusk. "'By whose leave do ye come here?' said Mowgli. "'All jungles are our jungle,' was the reply, and the doll that gave it bared his white teeth. Mowgli looked down with a smile, and imitated perfectly the sharp chitter-chatter of Chikai, the leaping rat of the deacon, meaning the dolls to understand that he considered them no better than Chikai. The pack closed up round the tree trunk, and the leader bayed savagely, calling Mowgli a tree ape. For an answer, Mowgli stretched down one naked leg, and wriggled his bare toes just above the leader's head. That was enough, and more than enough, to wake the pack to stupid rage. Those who have hair between their toes do not care to be reminded of it. Mowgli caught his foot away as the leader leaped up, and said sweetly, Dog, red dog, go back to the deacon and eat lizards. Go to Chikai, thy brother, dog, dog, red, red dog. There is hair between every toe. He twiddled his toes a second time. Come down or we starve thee out, hairless ape, yelled the pack, and this was exactly what Mowgli wanted. He laid himself down along the branch, his cheek to the bark, his right arm free, and there he told the pack what he thought and knew about them, their manners, their customs, their mates, and their puppies. There is no speech in the world so rancorous as so stinging as the language the jungle people use to show scorn and contempt. When you come to think of it, you will see how this must be so. As Mowgli told Carr, he had many little thorns under his tongue, and slowly and deliberately 
he drove the dolls from silence to growls, from growls to yells, and from yells to horse slavery ravings. They tried to answer his taunts, but a cub might as well have tried to answer Carr in a rage, and all the while Mowgli's right hand lay crooked at his side, ready for action, his feet locked round the branch. The big bay leader had leaped many times in the air, but Mowgli dared not risk a false blow. At last, made furious beyond his natural strength, he bounded up seven or eight feet clear of the ground. Then Mowgli's hand shot out like the head of a tree snake, and gripped him by the scruff of his neck, and the branch shook with the jar as his weight fell back, almost wrenching Mowgli to the ground. But he never loosened his grip, and inch by inch he hauled the beast, hanging like a drowned jackal, up on the branch. With his left hand he reached for his knife and cut off the red, bushy tail, flinging the doll back to the earth again. That was all he needed. The pack would not go forward on Montola's trail now till they had killed Mowgli, or Mowgli had killed them. He saw them settle down in circles with a quiver of the haunches that meant they were going to stay, and so he climbed to a higher crotch, settled his back comfortably, and went to sleep. After three or four hours he waked and counted the pack. They were all there, silent, husky, and dry, with eyes of steel. The sun was beginning to sink. In half an hour the little people of the rocks would be ending their labours, and, as you know, the dog does not fight best in the twilight. I did not need such faithful watchers, he said politely, standing up on a branch, but I will remember this. Ye be true dolls, but to my thinking over much of one kind. For that reason I do not give the big lizard eater his tail again. Art thou not pleased, red dog? I myself will tear out thy stomach, yelled the leader, scratching at the foot of the tree. Nay, but consider, wise rat of the deacon, there will now be many litters of little tailless red dogs, yea, with raw red stumps they sting when the sand is hot. Go home, red dog, and cry that an ape has done this. Ye will not go. Come, then, with me, and I will make you very wise. End of section 21